The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. I had this person that told me, I need to go get my GRI. I need to go get my CRS. I need to become involved as a volunteer. And she constantly held held the bar up and and... I walked under the bar. And so I really was listening to, to um, a strong person in my life who was very successful in real estate. And I did what she was doing. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host... Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Our guest for episode 64 is a native of Flagstaff, Arizona. It's Gary Nelson of Realty Executives Flagstaff. Flag, as it's known in the state, sits at nearly 7,000 feet in the mountains of northern Arizona. And I am really looking forward to finding out more about this part of our state, a part that most of the country has no idea exists. Gary, welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much, Bill. I cannot begin to tell you how honored I am to uh, to do this. Thank you for the invite. Wow, it's I, I, it's been way too long, and I'm glad you're here. So let's let's start with kind of the first round of questions. I, I tend to do every episode of the podcast. Is you grew up in the shadow of San Francisco Peak, which am I right? Over ten thousand feet, just for that. Yes, actually over twelve thousand feet. Wow. Mount Humphreys is uh, way above the tree line. There's there's tundra in Arizona. I'm going to go back in the day with you, and the day can be whatever it is to you, but what was Flagstaff like growing up there? Well, when I was a kid um, growing up, it was was kind of a tourist trap more than anything else. It was the main route to the Grand Canyon and uh, right along Route 66, and being a a child of the 1970s, I guess I am, um, it was a little grittier than it is now, um, but a lot of fun and very close-knit and very close-knit uh, community. A lot of people knew knew everyone. So you could be out playing with your friends kind of a thing, and your mom knew every other mom. That's exactly was... right. Oh, I, I happened to grow up in, in a gated community, which is actually an Army base. But uh, So I grew up on an Army base that was outside of Flagstaff, and in that, until I was 10 years old, and in that kind of an environment, everybody does know everybody, and everybody's mother does discipline you. You're not getting away with anything. You're not getting away with anything. So even, you know, there's been a ton of growth in Flagstaff since you were a kid. A ton, right? Yes. Not as much as you would think. But okay. Mostly commercial growth, growth but we're, we're growing about 2.5% a year okay. in population. So, yes, absolutely, it's it's more than doubled in size in in my lifetime. What's the population up there now, roughly? Uh, 65, 70,000, not okay. counting the university and, and the uh, outlying area. I'll be going through Flagstaff myself probably four times a year for whatever reason. Going right. up to maybe you go up to the snow, maybe we're going to the Grand Canyon, we're doing something. But tell me, it, it somehow keeps that really small town mountain feel, and I'm it, sure that's by design. It 
does keep that feel, and it is by design. Uh, there's there are groups of people that are very interested in keeping Flagstaff quaint, and regardless of the the growth of Flagstaff, especially the downtown area, there are business groups and community groups that are working stringently to make sure that it does keep that small town feel. So my guess is there's there's an anti-development arm that's kind of <laughs> up and around that area. And, and you're, you're, you have so much space around you that's already protected land, right? Is that kind of what that's keeps That's correct. It? Okay. Yeah. How does that, that we, work? It, there is that idea of keeping development from happening. And sometimes it's very difficult to work through that. Because in our business, we want some development, but not rampant, but you want to keep some growth going. Yes, and and I think the best thing we can do is to is to grow, but grow sensibly and make sure that we have our eye on the ball of what, what we would like for our community to be 50 years from now. Right. A little piece of history. You mentioned Route 66. Yes. It runs right through Flagstaff. Right through so the middle of Flagstaff. song from Chicago to L.A. That's right. Flagstaff is in that song. Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona. All right, so let's get awesome. your kicks. Let me tell you, um, t- t- talk about the I-40 thir- bypass. Um, that happened during your lifetime, right? Yes, when I was very small, okay. it happened. I, I, it was very small. And and what did that do to the town? It changed the town. I, there were other towns that that literally died on Route 66. Um, that's kind of what the movie Cars is about, uh, which is it was just kind of cute. But that's that's what it's about. Williams had a real tough time coming out of it, but Flagstaff, not so much. Um, it was a difficult transition, and they, I remember the community leaders and the business leaders at the time. Um, Looking back at that now, I, I know what they were faced with, and they did a great job of positioning Flagstaff as a different type of tourist destination. Right. You mentioned Gateway to the Grand Canyon, and right. for anybody coming from the south, you're you're going through Flag every single time. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that route through Flagstaff is um, not, I don't want to use the word littered, but has tons of opportunities for someone to stop and do some commerce in Flagstaff before they get out on the road. Exactly. That, and it still, it still has that, um, and it still has that flair. But there's a lot more to Flagstaff than just that. So, and I think that they've done a good job in bringing that out. Good. Uh, let's talk about Flagstaff's relationship with Flatlanders. <laughs> Is that the right term? That's, that's kind of funny because that's what I call y'all, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> just a little bit. I'm sure there are good and bad points about people from the Valley storming up to Flagstaff either to escape the heat in the valley or to play in the snow that you get. There are these two definite seasons. What are the good and the bad parts about that? Well, the good thing is I've learned not to ski on the weekends, only ski during the week. So I make sure that I change my own business model so it gives me a a little bit of time off so I can ski on the weekends because we're very, very popular on the weekends when it snows, and uh, especially with the snowball being coming as popular as it has. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, to answer your question directly, I, I think that, that, that the impact on Flagstaff by uh, people from the Valley is a good one. And what I mean by that is, historically, my own business is, as a realtor, uh, most of my business is second home buyers and sellers. And a second home buyer in, in the the mountainous areas of Arizona, or even in other areas of Arizona, they have a positive impact only on society and neighborhoods and communities. And what I, what I mean is they are not the kind of people that get into trouble. They're not the kind of people that, um, that are um, a negative in your community. They're a positive. Uh, they, in, they influence 
businesses. They they bring a lot of money into the smaller uh, parts of Arizona, and th- I'm we appreciate that. We definitely appreciate it. All right, so that's the good part about the Flatlanders coming up. What's the bad part? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know if I know a bad part. That sounds kind of silly, but I I think there are people that that uh, they don't want Flagstaff to grow, and they will come up with negative ideas that um, you know uh, people that are buying second homes are driving prices up. And I think there's some truth to that to a point uh, because the demand is high uh, for for second homes in, in Flagstaff and other parts of the state. But I don't share that opinion personally, so I, I don't think I can answer that, Bill, really, okay. for my own opinion because I don't have a negative thought in in my head about other parts of the state or, or, or the valley and how they impact how they impact Flagstaff. I think it's all positive. I would have just said traffic, but you'd put up with that. <laughs> you know, I, we're going to have that no matter what because maintaining that quaintness of Flagstaff, Flagstaff is kind of like Tucson. It's not easy to get across. And, uh, and so we do have traffic problems, but I think more, more of that is from the there. I think there was a point in the past when there was not a very good planning and we have a growing university. We're at 22,000 students now. And so these are some, we do have some growth problems and we need a little bit more elbow room, but uh, you're right. Traffic is a tough one. You, you mentioned uh, NAU. I know you're a lumberjack. That's In fact, right. You're one of many lumberjacks who have appeared on this podcast. If you know that there's a lot of people that um, locally who, who did their undergrad work up at NAU. I love that. Talk about your, um, um, First of all, give me a little bit of the experience of going to school at NAU. Now, it's, it was your home campus because you lived in the area, so you weren't That's traveling right. far from home. But then also, I want to know, while you're you know, pursuing your degree at, at uh, NAU, was a career in real estate you know, uh, on your radar? No, it wasn't. Uh, I did start off in, in business at NAU because that was, I had an aptitude for business is what they told me coming out of high school, and it turns out they were right. But I got distracted about halfway through and, and switched uh, degrees and actually moved to aerospace engineering. And that's that's a little different. But uh, so that's what I did. I, I spent some time out in, in uh, Northern California in Silicon Valley and came back uh, to NAU uh, to, to finish up. Um, I just missed Flagstaff too much and, and came back. So, so you got some engineering, yeah? A little bit. Does that that's got to help you in the real estate world? <laughs> you know, it it does with not a, not being afraid of technology. That's the biggest I, benefit I think I have. And um, I don't have an engineer's personality. I have more of a salesperson personality. I, I did learn that, but um, it, it data acquisition and and what what to do with data and not to be afraid of computers and not to be afraid of the internet and technology in general, I think that's probably the biggest strength I brought out of it. Now, did you go right into real estate out of school? What did you do first? What was your first job? No, I, I think what happened is my father, uh, when I was finishing up school, my father passed away. And so I wound up taking over his business and, and it was a business. Um, and that was a little different for me. I, I, I was covering for him for a while while he was sick with cancer and then he passed away. So I wound up taking that over, and it was an advertising uh, marketing business. And so that kind of got me so that it set my roots a little bit deeper in Flagstaff, and it really proved to me that I 
probably should be in business and not in engineering at the time. Was there a part of you that wanted to leave Flagstaff? I always wonder because growing up in a small town like that in this big, oh, broad yeah. world, you wanted to go do something Absolutely. Else. My wife and I, in 1994, we rented a convertible Mustang and, and cruised the western United States for three weeks looking for a new place to go. Uh, and we decided we were going to either um, find, you know, find a place that uh, where we could both get into different careers or I was going to go to real estate school and so that was that was the choice that we made and after three weeks we both came back we sat down and it was determined that I was going to go to real estate school because once we had toured uh, the Pacific Coast up all the way up through Washington and, and Portland and and uh, Seattle we decided that we wanted to sink our roots in Flagstaff. So why why real estate school? What was there someone or some 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 person or mentor or some trigger that made you think, you know what, if we stay in Flagstaff, I want to be a realtor? I don't know if there was a person, but it was it was a business opportunity. I looked at it as something that where I I felt like I could set my own hours, I could be my own person. I could be my own boss. And those things I think attract a lot of people toward to being a realtor. And, and it, that was it for me. And it, I wanted to get into a business where I knew that if I worked hard, I f- felt like I could be successful. And so that's what I did. Talk about uh, your first year in the business for me. $1.73 an hour is what I made my first year in real That's estate. That's the engineer <laughs> in you that knows that number because <laughs> I guarantee you that, that, that really is real. the number. <laughs> <laughs> so I made $1.73 an hour my first year. Um, but I rubbed elbows with the right people, and a lot of my first year, my first three years, was in educating myself. And so, my first year, I wasn't as successful as I could have been. But honestly, I, I was kind of shy and did not feel like I could uh, that I that I had it in me to go out and do cold calls and 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 uh, knock doors and that type of thing. And, and so that limited me a little bit until I got a little bit over my shyness. I've noticed looking back at your history, your timeline, you know, that you early on after becoming a realtor, you embraced volunteerism. And I mean in a big way, right? You, in 2001, you were president of the Northern Area Association of Realtors. You've served as a director at the local, state, even national level with NAR, Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about the importance of getting involved as a realtor. And I'm asking you this question as we record this podcast from the leadership conference for AAR, where Paula that's right. Montefiore is going to be installed later this evening. Right. That's that's exactly Let's right. Let's talk about she it. Will be. I um, had a business partner and a mentor, and her name was Ann Terrell, and she's long since retired. She retired in 2006, I believe. But I partnered with her in 1998 and rubbed elbows with her before that. And she was a real great role model for me. She volunteered heavily. She had been a past president of our local association. She had uh, um, served on uh, AAR's uh, legislative committee for years and years and years and on grievance committee. And so I had this person that told me, I need to go get my GRI. I need to go get my CRS. I need to become involved as a volunteer. And she constantly held held the bar up, and, and I walked under the bar. And so I really 
was listening to, to a strong person in my life who was very successful in real estate, and I did what she was doing. So that tells me your story about getting into the volunteer aspect of this business. Why is it so important for other realtors to be a part of it? Because it's so rewarding for me. It's been so rewarding. I, I started as a, I got my license in 1994 and started as a realtor. And by 1998, I was chairing our MLS. And, um, and that was a big thing for us, for a smaller association, because we're actually running a multiple listing service and not just belonging to one. And so, what happened with me is the education part of it. I wanted to become educated. I wanted to become involved with making sure that we had enough classes and that in a small market, I guess I was trying to help myself a little bit more than is what I'm trying to say by making sure that the proper real estate classes are coming into, into town. And so I got involved with that and then that translated into MLS work and and I realized it was very rewarding for me to try to m- make a difference in our local association to the point where my passion at the time in, in 2000, you realize we were, the internet was there and um, my passion was to make sure that we went from a distributed realist, uh, MLS system to an online-based MLS system. And with help from others, we did it. So you're, it's safe to say that for you, for Gary Nelson, for you and your family, you're in a better place today because of the volunteer work. Oh, did. absolutely. Yeah. And it especially, I've taken it to a couple of other levels and because people have pushed me to do that. And now with my volunteerism on the state level, it's even more rewarding. And being a director on the National Association of Realtors was wonderful. And, uh, and it continues to challenge me as an individual and it continues to be rewarding uh, with the great people I get to rub elbows with. I tend to find that the successful realtors in this state tend to volunteer. They're, they're a part of that process. They so, do. Good. They do. Let me, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about your actual business now. You're, uh, you okay. have a, a small team, am I right when I say that? Yes. I, at one point uh, in the mid-2000s, I was a, led a five-person team, but now that there's just two of us at this point, and that business model works real well for me. Okay, so are you more of an online lead generator or a, a sphere of influence marketer? If you had to, that, that kind of, I think, kind of lays out the opposite ends of the spectrum. I would say both. Uh, I continue to do sphere of influence marketing. Um, I think that's bread and butter. It's a very reliable way to make sure that uh, people know who you are and get a lot of referrals that way to constantly make sure that people have my name at their at, at their fingertips but also online lead generation i need to get a little further into online lead generation but for what i'm doing right now it's just about the perfect balance but I, to answer your question i would say both let me let me ask you a question i'm going to ask for your opinion and you can say i'd rather not comment on that bill or you can answer it's your choice but okay all right so we're seeing a push uh, i'll call it even a big push towards i want to call it the boiler room telemarketing interrupting style of lead generation you know what i'm talking about right these are oh, yeah. lots of people making lots of calls trying to set appointments and it's it's um it's become pervasive in the valley i don't know how big it is up in flag but there's a lot of people doing it. What's your take on that strategy? I would say that that's just not me. 
personally. Uh, from the beginning, as I said a little while ago, I, I, I found myself being pretty shy and not wanting to call people and interrupt. Um, I think all of us hate saying no, you know, maybe it's those fears of asking that girl out on a date in high school, but, uh, which is kind of silly, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that we have a tendency to bring the industry down a little bit by having that personality that's kind of in your face. And it's just something I personally, I just don't really care for it. It really is what your style is and what you can handle. And that's right. And there are some people who have no problem making a hundred calls and taking 99 no's to get to their next yes. That's not you. That's not me. I, I think that cold calling can be a little bit, uh, or even knocking doors, that type of thing can be a little bit obtrusive for, for families when they're just trying to decompress from the evening or, or whatever it happens to be. But also there's so many different other types of marketing that are out there that are working very well. And you mentioned online lead generation there are people that are doing wonderful things with, with lead generation online and just filling a niche. What might start off with something other than real estate and move into it. Yeah. I want to ask you, we're, I mentioned earlier, we're actually recording this episode at the AAR Leadership Conference. That's right. That's right. And tonight, Paula Montefer is being installed as the 2017 AAR president. What are your thoughts about that? Not if I have anything to do with it, Bill. Not if I have anything to do with it. She is not right for our association, and no, I can't even do it. I, <laughs> I wish I could do it with a straight face, but I can't. On so, the, all right, let me especially I'll on say, a straight face on a podcast. No, right? I get you. So, I can't do it. So, I'll I'll kind of take this a little bit. And when I met you two or three years ago. We were at Scottsdale and Establishment. Um, actually, we were sharing a pumpkin porter because it was that's near exactly Hollywood. right. Yeah, that? that's when we first met, and so that's when I knew you were from Flag, and and uh, and I knew Paula from Flag via my association with AAR as well. And then having friending both of you and seeing what you do on Facebook, you have this incredible relationship that allows you to say sometimes the most evil things about each other. That's and it's true. hilarious. It's it's just this thing for somehow we wound up in this relationship years ago. Um, and uh, I can't keep the, the joke going here, so I'll just tell the truth. And, and the truth is, is that we're, basically best friends and uh, very very close and we just have this banter that goes on and we don't we don't care who's around us to hear it sometimes it's we're just texting back and forth to each other and it's extremely rude but at other times people are there and we're just we're just continuing this banter and that's all it is is banter yeah it's a great it's a great facade a great charade whatever you want to call it it's so much fun to watch but i know like i said i think of this room of 200 realtors here there are probably not two closer friends than you and paula we're pretty close, really, and I, I I can't believe I'm actually as long as this doesn't go out on a podcast no, or something. No, this like won't it, be published. It's just between us, just right? between the two of us. Gary. Then if it's just between us, then yeah, we've we're we're very close, and uh, we always have each other's back, no matter what. So all right, so we'll we'll leave Paula alone, and I want to get back into you know the second home market that's in the mountains of Arizona. You happen to be in an area where there are probably more. I mean, Flagstaff's bigger than Payson. It's bigger than Prescott, I think. I don't know if it is. If you consider the Tri City around Prescott, oh, there's right. quite a, quite Valley a bit of population. Prescott Valley, yeah. yeah. We're at about a you know we serve about 135,000 people though. Okay. I would say with our region with the region around Flagstaff and the university, but I honestly I think Prescott with uh, Prescott Valley and Chino is a little bit bigger than that because it they basically have triple the number of realtors we do. So right, they're also a couple thousand feet lower. That's true. It's a different weather. It's a different right setup. 
uh, you're pine forest everywhere. We're closer to God. <laughs> That's what it is. So, so talk about that that second home market um, back in two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. When that started happening, how much of an impact did it have on Flagstaff? Was it as severe as the valley, or not as bad? I don't think it was as severe as as the valley, but it was bad. And when you think about it, people are going to let their second home go before they let their first home go. And we had a lot of that. We had a lot of foreclosures in the second home business. And some of my clients decided to let their home go or or do short sales and that type of thing. What percentage of those second home purchases today are cash versus finance? I'd s- just taking a stab at it from my own perspective, I'm th- about 30 to 40%. So there's quite a bit of money that's going out into the, uh, out into the, the hinterlands of Arizona up into the into the trees. And for people that don't really know what Flagstaff is about, or, or Arizona for that matter, describe to me the typical second home. These are not big, giant mansions. I know, like, look, in Scottsdale, there are people buying second homes that are 5,000 square feet. That's their second home. That's not Flagstaff. So describe the typical second home up in the mountains. Well, actually, I think it kind of is Flagstaff sometimes. It just there are uh, three gated communities that are very popular as second home buyers and and others. So honestly, if I was to say what's typical, it, it, an average home in Flagstaff is probably an average uh, second home also, which is about four, you know, three to four bedrooms and about 2,100 square feet is the average, speaking in generalities here. H- however, second home buyers, some of them are looking for the cabin in the woods. Some of them are the country club set. Some of them are beyond that, and they're purchasing a massive mansion. And they're calling it their cabin at Forest Highlands, but it truly is uh, a very large uh, property, you know, four, five, 6,000 square feet. Forest Highlands, and what are the other two big? Uh, Pine Canyon and Flagstaff Ranch. Gotcha. Those are the three large gated uh, golf communities. I've had you here the half hour I've asked from you, Gary. So I'm going to ask you the final question I've asked every single guest on the podcast. It is, what is the one piece of advice you would give a new agent just getting started in the business? I would say educate yourself uh, because nobody's going to educate you, especially the way brokerages are now. Sometimes there are so many agents in one brokerage that I don't believe you get the education or the experience that you need to really get started. And so my advice would be to embrace the very, very good education systems that are already in place, especially offered by our state association. Starting off with a GRI uh, program, I I love having a CRS uh, designation myself in the education because that is a self-help. CRS is really strong on self-help and, and, and really cementing your own business, but also some of the other uh, programs that Reback has. If someone wants to reach out to you and get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, my email address is gary at garynelsongroup.com, all one word. Um, and garynelsongroup.com is my website. And then my cell phone, I don't mind giving that out, is area code 928 600 4279. Gary, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your time during the conference today. I know we're both very excited 
to see Paula tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. It really is going to be a lot of fun, and I very much appreciate you asking me to do this. Thank you. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.